I hate waiting. The worst part of road trips is the fact that I can go a solid 300 miles without needing to stop. My kids, about every 30 minutes. And every stop is another 30. But what if it's in the waiting? That's where we experience God's goodness and his grace. These disciples, they're given this great power. They're given this great promise. You will have power. You will have this mission. But for now, wait. As we begin this journey with God and this adventure of what he was doing and is doing and will continue to do until he comes, what is it you're waiting for? Is it him or something else? Hi, this is Chris from The Point a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay because faith is not about having it all figured out and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before he'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. Good morning. Today we begin a series through the book of Acts where we're looking at the early church and the things God did in and among them and some of what it means for us today. And as we begin this journey through Acts, I have to back up a little bit and tell you a little about myself. I really enjoy a good adventure. Anybody in here like a good adventure? And I've found, the older I get, that my adventures when I was younger, before I had kids, were far more fun. (laughs) Now, my adventures now are far more rewarding. But when I was younger, I used to be able to go on these great road trips And I would drive for 24 hours straight, or so it seemed. I would stop just the bare minimum number of times to make it as fast as possible so I could really enjoy the most out of that adventure. And now, as a dad, there are four words that will get to me on every great road trip. And they get to me so quickly. Are we there yet? And it is amazing, as a dad, how these four words show up right after we left the house. We haven't even left our neighborhood and they're already asking, are we there yet? There's this measure of the journey to get there is not worth enjoying, we just have to rush to the end. We wanna get there yesterday. But then there's four words as a dad that become even worse than are we there yet? I need to pee. And these four words always happen right after we leave the bathroom break. And I find myself, as someone who loves adventure, so often bogged down with the fact that it takes forever to get to the adventure I want to have. And along the way, we have to stop infinitely more times than I think is reasonable for one van full of people. And sometimes along the journey, I lose sight of what it's all about. Do you ever get that way on road trips? As we dive into the book of Acts, as we look at what the church was like, I believe that in many ways there is this grand adventure awaiting all of us as Christians. 
I believe it was awaiting them and it was set before them. And I believe that in many ways they were easily ready to get to the end and not looking for the journey along the way. And at times we can easily get distracted with things that have to cause us to detour yet again. But along the way, there's so much that God has in store. If we can just slow down and experience it. And so as we begin to go through Acts, I want to share with you a few things that were really essential for the early church. You're going to notice these themes show up over and over and over again in the way the church experienced this adventure of living out faith in a resurrected God. All right, the first one is prayer. Now, these are in no particular order as in, like, importance, but you'll see these things all throughout Acts. So they're important to note because as we go through Acts, we're going to be coming back to these themes. But the first was prayer. See, the church from the very beginning... After Jesus died and rose, and as we'll find out today, ascended into heaven, the church said, where do we go from here? Well, it starts on our knees. Our life together as a community, our journey with God, our adventure into the great unknown of what's next has to come from a place of seeking him first. From there, there's God's word. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, the people in the story of the book of Acts don't have a Bible in front of them most of the time. In fact, some of the characters in this book go on to write big portions of what we call the Bible. So when I say that God's word was centered to the church, what does that mean? Well, first, they did have the Old Testament through the scrolls that they could go and study at the temples and the... the um, what? Synagogues, thank you. I was drawing a blank on words. Uh, pastors do that sometimes. I was like, starts with an S. Seminaries, it wasn't it, but that's what I was thinking. Thank you. Synagogues, yes. They could go to the temples and the synagogues, and there they could hear the word spoken. But you know, most people couldn't read because they were common, ordinary, unschooled men. And so because they couldn't read, somebody else would have to read the word for them and they would listen and they would hear and through that hearing of God's word, they would be transformed to shape their life around who God is and what he's done and what he's promised to keep doing. And so for the early church, repeatedly they come back to that spoken word. And what we find is pretty quickly on, the words spoken by the apostles become like that of the Old Testament of equal value to them. And the reason for that is, they said these men walked with Jesus. They were there to experience his life and his death and his resurrection. If these men can hear it firsthand, we should trust what they have to say. And so the words of the apostles became equated to the word of God for their life. And the church was centered around prayer and God's word. And then something else, something that often today becomes really uncomfortable. It was this, the way of life. Or sometimes put the way of Jesus or the way of the cross. This idea that if we center our life in prayer and if we're centered in God's word, these things will draw us to be a people who are altogether different than we used to be. And this isn't that we're a different kind of person, like I'm now better than everybody else, but rather that this way of life needs each other. And so all throughout this story of Acts, 
the events of the early church, what we're going to see is how community and the people they were gathered with meant everything to them. And from that place of community then, there was a mutual accountability to hold each other to walking with Jesus in such a way that their life could bear witness to the very things they believed. So prayer and God's word and this way of life. And then there's another thing that was really essential, this missional mindset. See, the last thing Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew to his disciples was, go and make disciples. He gives them this great command, go out and tell the whole world, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the world, that all nations may know what I've done. And the early church was driven by this as their foundation. See, the truth is, I think we as a church today have a lot to gain from the church then. Because in many cases, church and faith has become a private thing We don't need to share, we don't need to talk about, because oftentimes when we do talk about it, we stumble and we fail, or maybe other people have talked to to us about it in such a way that it was actually kind of off-putting. And you know what I'm talking about, right? Like the used car salesman gospel pitch. Let me just tell you why you need Jesus and he'll make everything better, as opposed to let me walk with Jesus and along the way show you how great he is and what he's done for me. And so the church had this mentality that said everywhere we go, everything we do is an opportunity awaiting us. And I believe 2,000 years later, it's not much different. Sometimes we can think that to be on mission or to go on a mission trip requires leaving and going someplace else. But what if God was on mission working in your neighborhood or in your household, or at the grocery store, or the coffee shop, or the bar, or wherever you are? And what if we as a church had a mentality that said, everywhere we go, let's look for what God is doing. Let's just expect he's doing something and join him in this work. So the church had this mentality that said, wherever we are, God is with us, and if God is with us, he's doing things and can do them through us And so this missional mindset moved them to this next thing, which is this, an expectation of the supernatural. Now, this can be super uncomfortable for us today because let's face it, the supernatural is super weird, right? And unfortunately, the church has at times made the supernatural even weirder by celebrating and embracing things that may or may not be God. My first year here as a pastor in the South, uh, every time I met somebody new in the community, I, would, I generally don't lead with like, hey, I'm a pastor. I wait until the end of the conversation when they ask. But they would ask, like, what do you do? What brought you to Knoxville? So, oh, I moved here for work. Oh, what kind of work? Well, I'm, I'm a pastor. And almost every time for that first year, the question would be, you don't have one of those like weird snake handling churches, do you? <laughs> wait, those exist? I thought people just joked about it. I didn't know that was a real thing, and apparently it is here. In in the church today, the expectation of the supernatural looks very different than it did then. For them, they weren't trying to prove their faith or trying to demonstrate how good or faithful they were. They weren't trying to build an exclusive community of just these supernatural, holier-than-thou people. No, the supernatural was 
the work of Jesus in the lives of people. And the supernatural sometimes, as we'll see, does some really crazy things that I can't even begin to fathom, like heal the sick and raise the dead. There's actually a story in the book of Acts that's way down the line. We'll get to it eventually. But the story is uh, Paul is preaching, and he goes all night long. And it says that as he's preaching, there's a man, a young man sitting in the window who gets so tired He falls asleep. Surely none of you would fall asleep in a sermon. And then he falls out of a third-story window and dies. And here's what happens in the story. Paul sees that this man falls out of the window and dies. He walks downstairs. He raises the man from the dead, and he goes right back to preaching the rest of the night. So I take comfort in the fact that my preaching's not yet killed anybody. But the church... What? We do have a balcony. So those of you on the balcony, if you're prone to sleeping, sit towards the back, okay? But the church believed that if God was with them, he was going to move. And they didn't limit how he moved. They just expected him to move, which meant sometimes he did things they weren't able to do on their own. And it was this great power that demonstrated to the whole world this message was true. And so as we dive into the book of Acts, as we go through this story, there will be stories we encounter, some really incredible supernatural stuff. And I want to encourage you, and I want to even invite you to begin to pray, God, what does this expectation of the supernatural look like 2,000 years removed where people don't have any expectation or belief that you're still moving? I don't have an answer to that question, but I think if every one of us begins to pray that, we'll begin to see God do things in our midst we weren't ever anticipating. But then the story of Acts, we find a sixth key theme, something that is central to the church, that without this, they wouldn't really be the church. And it is this attitude of rejoicing and suffering or embracing suffering. One of the things that set Christians apart from the whole rest of the world is bad stuff happened and they celebrated. Not because they were looking forward to bad things happening, but because Jesus promised it. He said, look, if this is how they've treated me, the master of the house, how much more will they treat you? If this is what they've done to me, how much more will they to you? And he warned it will turn brother against brother and children against parents. It will divide households because this message of a God who loves us unconditionally, who freely, without any merit of our own, gives everything to restore us. This message is offensive and it will divide. And so the church was marked with this celebration of suffering unlike what I think we're comfortable with today. And so I I share these six things, and now we're going to get into Acts and begin this journey together. I share these six so that as we read the story week over week, you can be thinking about these six things. Where do I see the church living this out then? How do we live that out today? Because I believe this journey God had with his disciples in this early church This great adventure where he was moving in pretty incredible ways, not for our glory or so that we can be puffed up, but so that somebody who is hurting and far from him can be brought near. I believe he's not done 
with the story he started. And we can be really content to go through life showing up on Sundays and maybe praying from time to time when things are tough. And we can miss out on all of this adventure because we're so focused on the end goal. Are we there yet that we forget what he's doing right now? So let's jump into Acts chapter 1. It's on page Uh, 1134, if you're using one of our our Bibles provided, if you have your own Bible or you're using your phone, I don't know what page it's on. Here we go. Acts chapter 1. Now, the title of the book to begin with is actually the Acts of the Apostles or the Acts of the Church, depending on who you read, right? This book was written initially as a follow-up to the Gospel of Luke. It was written by the same guy. In fact, we know this because in the beginning it says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. In the first book, Theophilus, if you read Luke chapter 1, there he begins, O Theophilus, this man who's commissioned him to put together all of these accounts of Jesus. He says, look, in that first book, I, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And I love that intro to this book. See, Jesus isn't walking with us like he was for them. We can't walk over and give him a hug on a bad day. We can't walk over and eat some fish when we're hungry with him in the same way that they could. But he says, look, all that he began to do, this book's continuing that. I don't know if you know this or not, but the work of Jesus isn't finished Yes, the work of your sin being forgiven and this world being restored by his death, that is finished. And yet we still live in a world that is awaiting his return. And in the meantime, you and I continue this work that he began. So he begins by saying, look, in that first book I dealt with that, everything he began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So the author of Acts, presumably Luke, is writing this introduction. Here's why I write to you. Jesus started a good work, and then after his resurrection for 40 days, he showed up to his disciples. And he gave proof that he is truly God that he truly died and truly rose, and this isn't just a myth and a story. He proved that he was real. And then he gave them commands to go, but first, before they go, to wait. And then the story, after that brief introduction, backs up a moment. See, it mentions in the introduction, until the day he was taken up, and it backs up and says, let's tell you about the day that he ascended into heaven. When we say that in the creed, what what do we mean? Here's what happens. Verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? 
you recall throughout his ministry, Jesus often talked about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And he talked about it saying things like the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Though it's the smallest of seeds, when it's planted in the ground, it grows into a large tree and the birds build nests in it. And they were like, what? What does that have to do with this kingdom, God? You see, the people of Israel were expecting God would move in such a way that the Roman government and those oppressive worldly figures would be thrown off and they would be freed. And prior to Jesus, several people had come along claiming to be the Messiah, the one who would set them free. A little bit of history for you. Every person who claimed to be the Messiah led the people of God to take up arms and to fight against the government. And do you know what happens when you do that? They kill you. And do you know what happens when they kill you? You stay dead. And everybody who was following you says, this isn't the guy, I'm out, and leaves. Jesus was talking about this kingdom, and his disciples were expecting them to take up arms and to begin to overthrow the government like everybody else. And then he died. And they said, well, maybe we were wrong, and this wasn't the guy. And then he didn't stay dead. And now, 40 days after his death and resurrection, a little over a month later, I say, will you at this time restore the kingdom? They're still looking for the same thing they thought they were getting before. They saw all the miracles. They heard all the preaching. They were there with him while he did all these incredible things. They even got to touch his hands and see his nail holes. And they said, is now the time you're going to do what we were hoping for before? It's like, you guys just still don't quite get it. He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. See, they were expecting his kingdom to look like this world. He says to them, you still don't quite get it. It's not for you to know what I'm about. I think in my life, I often really want to do what God is doing and I want to join in his work, but I only want to join in the things he's doing when it makes sense to me. God, when you move the way I want you to move, when you do what I'm looking for you to do, then I'm excited to partner. Jesus says to his disciples, look, I'm going to send you this Holy Spirit. You will be given power to go to the ends of the world. When that time comes, I'll take care of all the work. We don't need to know or understand or even be on the right path for him to still work through us. He says, I'm sending the Holy Spirit who will empower you. One of the number one things I hear now for why people are uncomfortable sharing their faith or talking about Jesus or even just quite honestly living differently than the world is people say, well, I just don't know enough, right? If I just knew the Bible better, if I had more answers, if I could just tell people more to prove why this is true, Jesus doesn't tell his disciples, look, you guys will be clothed with all the right answers and all the right knowledge, and you'll have everything you need to know. He says you'll be given power. That's it. A power that comes from the Holy Spirit so that you can do the work I'm doing. 
And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Could you imagine? You've just watched this man die and rise from the dead. And now he's talking to you and he's like, look, I've got a great plan. I've got a great purpose. You're not going to know it. You're not going to understand it, but you will have power to do it. And then he just suddenly starts levitating, disappears in the clouds. Okay. Now what? Where do we go from here? And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Could you imagine being these disciples? The pain and the agony of his death, the confusion and the celebration and the joy of his resurrection, like finally we can do this. And he gives you this vague answer like, you won't know all the things you need to know, but I'll give you power and the boop, he's gone. And you're just standing there staring like, um, Jesus, this isn't funny. Like we could really use your help right now. And these two guys show up and like, what are you doing? Just staring into the clouds. Don't worry about it. He's coming back. It'll be fine. Huh. And that's where this adventure begins through Acts. I think for many of us, we're kind of like them, standing, staring into heaven. God, I just need you to make it clear. Like if you would just come back and do something that's so obvious, then I can follow wherever you're leading. What if he's already done that? What if he's already clearly given you everything you need? In your baptism, you've been given this Holy Spirit. What if you and I already have enough to go? To go on this great adventure and to share this good news. And sometimes, what if everything we've been given is so that we can wait? I hate waiting. The worst part of road trips is the fact that I can go a solid 300 miles without needing to stop. My kids, about every 30 minutes. And every stop is another 30. But what if it's in the waiting? That's where we experience God's goodness and his grace. These disciples, they're given this great power. They're given this great promise. You will have power. You will have this mission. But for now, wait. As we begin this journey with God and this adventure of what he was doing and is doing and will continue to do until he comes, what is it you're waiting for? Is it him or something else? This is my prayer as we go through this book that we'll discover that together and together be empowered to go out and live this life of power that is not for our glory, but for his. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come before you. God, we look at your church. We see what you have done. When you ascended into heaven to sit at the right hand of God the Father, Jesus, you left your church with a promise that you would send the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit would empower them to go to all nations and all peoples. Lord, we ask that you would fill us with power. That we would have the power of courage to stand when we're afraid. 
power of joy to rejoice when things are hard. The power to love those who persecute us, to pray for our enemies. Would you clothe us with the power to wait with patience, knowing that your timing is not for us to know, but it is always the best. God, may we as your people live out this way of life, expecting you to move in us and through us and around us for the sake of the whole world. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. As we continue through this story, I want to encourage you. I know the summer months are really busy and travel happens a lot. As much as possible, join us in person or online. Because I believe this story of Acts, I've spent the last like six months really diving into it and it has filled me with an excitement like I haven't had in a long time because God isn't done yet. I can't wait to see what he does through us in this journey. As we continue our worship, uh, we're gonna continue now by collecting an offering. And this may feel like a weird shift, but let me tell you, an offering in this place is not so that we can have bigger and better and greater. Our, an offering in this place, we believe, is one way of saying, God, in everything, even my finances, let me trust you and join you in the work you're doing. And I believe that through you and through us as a community, God is moving in Knoxville and he's preparing some pretty exciting things. And so by trusting with our finances, we get to say, God, let these finances help continue this work you're doing. So if you came prepared to give today and you prefer to give with cash or check, you can do so in the popcorn bucket as you exit. If you filled out one of those physical connect cards with a way we can pray with you, a way we can contact you and connect with you, you can place that in the bucket as well. And if you came prepared to give today and you would like to do so online, you can give at thepointknox.com by clicking the little button in the bottom corner and selecting the I'd like to give option. However you give and whatever you give, know this. We don't give to get God's love, but because we already have it. Thank you. Hey, Adam. Hey. I'm super excited for those Wednesday nights. You know why? Why? Food? Food. Do you know why else? Why? Prayer. Prayer's good too. Yeah. Now, anybody in here, like, honestly, let's just be real for a moment. Do you find it difficult to spend time in prayer and not get distracted or feel like it's awkward or like God is silent? I, I feel that way sometimes. And I know in my past, the times when I've felt closest to God is when I'm in prayer with others consistently. And I don't have any expectations of what these Wednesday nights may look like or what God may do, but I believe, like the early church, that when we pray together, God will do something, something uh, incredible. So we'll, we're going to do that and have food because food's great. Burgers. Week one is burgers. Week one burgers? I think that's tacos. right. Oh, she just said tacos. and that was some... It's definitely burgers. Okay. I thought it was burgers, but then this was like the second thing with tacos. Like, I like tacos too. A different week will be tacos, but it's burgers, right? Emily, burgers? Yeah. <laughs> week two, tacos. All right. Burgers, that night, bring something to share. And I was asked this week, do I need to bring enough for like 100? No. Uh, bring enough for like five or 10. I think if we each do that, and it's not just bags of chips and cookies, We'll have plenty of food to share, okay? If bags and chips and cookies are your thing, though, like, that's okay, too, all right? 
Um, but I think we'll have plenty enough to go around. So now we get to do the part where you've asked questions and I can do my best to respond. What questions came in, Adam? So there was one that came in after we finished last week. So I'll start with that one if that's okay. Okay. So this is actually from last week's sermon. It says, you mentioned in your sermon that God will never tempt you or me. However, I think that it would be a good thing if we were tempted to do things that God wants us to do. Yeah, would it be a good thing to be tempted to do something God wants? I don't think it's temptation when it's the right thing to do. I think it's just God nudging us away from our sinfulness. So God's not tempting us to do the right thing. He's saying, hey, that wrong thing's not not good. Do what's right. Um, Yeah. And so beginning with this week, there are two questions. Uh, The first says, why did Martin Luther change the words of the original Nicene Creed? Yeah, a couple of reasons for that. The first is the original was in Greek and in Latin. So unless you speak Greek and Latin, it's kind of useless. So in any translation, there is a choice that has to be made what word is to be used. And then there's a few words, very few, but a few that were purposefully changed. Like one holy and Catholic church was changed to one holy Christian church. And the reason for that is Catholic means universal, like all Christians in all places. But we have a very different understanding in our culture today, and even in Luther's culture, where Catholic implied Roman Catholic, which is different than all the church. And so to try to avoid that confusion, it was changed. Others have have gone a step further and changed the line where it says, who for us men and our salvation. And they've said, who for us men and women and our salvation. Because in our culture today, sometimes when we use the word men to refer to everybody, people get confused and think we're just referring to some people. But in the, in the Nicene Creed, they're referring to all people, men and women. So that's why some words have been changed. I will say, generally speaking, take a lot of caution when changing something the church has said and committed to for 1,700 years, generally speaking. Yeah. yeah. Next question. I was always taught that the story of Paul in Acts 29 was a joke about Paul's style of preaching. Paul was so long-winded that even someone falling to their death couldn't stop him from finishing his sermon. Why do you interpret that portion of Scripture as literal? Um, Because it's written in the book of Acts as a history, as an account of what happened. Uh, When we read scripture, we have to read what was the genre it was written as. Some scripture is written as poetry. Some is written like uh, the book of Revelation, uh, an apocalyptic style, which is a very different genre altogether. And and so we have to be purposeful. What was the genre it was written in and read it in that intended way? So written as a history, I have no reason to believe it wasn't literal because Jesus rose people from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead. Surely his disciples could have done the same. Uh, Now, with that said, I've never seen it. I've never experienced it, and I would be terrified. And I promise you, if I was preaching and one of you died and then rose from the dead, I'd be done preaching. Uh, (laughs) At least for the day, right? I'd be done. So maybe he was just long-winded. Maybe it was metaphor. But generally speaking, Acts is intended to be read as a history, which is why throughout the book of Acts, you'll see there's a lot of names and places and very specific people mentioned so that as we read it, we can say that's, that's an actual thing, an actual event. 
So I'm drawing a blank on the man's name that fell three stories. It starts with an E, I'm drawing a blank. But the name meant lucky or fortunate. I always <laughs> thought that was pretty funny. So. That's funny, I yeah. didn't realize that. Any other questions? No other questions. Um, no, no other questions, that's it. Excellent. Yeah. As always, you can text in your questions any time of the week. If we see them in the middle of the week, we may respond on social media. If not, we'll do our best to respond next Sunday um, when we do this time. So now, as you go, receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Go and serve the Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.